Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. This is episode number 110. We're back, baby. We are back. I'm your co-host, Kieran Lefebvre, joined by Adam Charles. Yeah, it's uh, episode 110, Ask a Black Belt. It feels like it's been forever. It has been we've forever. done one of these episodes. How long do you think it's been? Well, it'd be 20 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. You in, but it's been about three months. Yeah, because uh, you typically do them every 10th episode. So we did an episode 90, but then for episode 100, mm. we did a random, mm-hmm. uh, hey, milestone episode. Yeah. And then now 110. Now 110. So we're back to our regular programming. And we do uh, the Ask a Black Belt Q&As every 10 episodes. So if you're new to the podcast, the way the format works is people submit an audio question to our our mailbox and we play the question on air and answer the question as the best of our abilities. That's right. That is Uh, the format. Yeah, before we get stuck in, anyone who didn't listen to – Last week's episode, mm. well, last week's, the last episode of the podcast mm-hmm. was uh, a special episode because I wasn't on it. No, it was, uh, <laughs> so so Kieran, Kieran had an episode with Jordan Teaches Jiu-Jitsu, who if you're not sure who he is, he's blown up on YouTube. He's got a really great YouTube channel. Mm. He's a black belt out of Toronto in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also now got an instructional on BJJ Fanatics, I believe. Yeah, multiple. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, if you if you missed that one, last episode, go back and check that out. It's uh, a bit of a special episode mm-hmm. in the sense that it's, uh, well, yeah, I'm not on the episode and, and it's Kieran <laughs> and Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all Kieran got to say about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was good. Definitely go listen to it. Um, yeah, and we're going to talk to talk a little bit more about like some of the subject matter in that episode as the nature of these questions come out. So we have a wide variety of questions today. We have questions pertaining to training, competition, uh, nutrition, strength and conditioning, and uh, some more interesting ones thrown in. Or not more interesting, but funny. Funny, interesting ones thrown in there for a bit of a laugh. So well, I think we got a few, so let's get stuck in. This All is right. the quickest intro we've ever done. Two minutes, two and a half minutes, and we're into the content, into the subject matter of the episode. Hey, we're becoming That's never experts. happened before. Never, ever. All before right. you know it, we'll be having 13-minute episodes <laughs> and calling it an episode. No, I think there'll be riots. We, we've already had like some backlash about reducing to one episode a week. We have. So so we reduced the one episode a week down even further. I think um, there'll be riots. Yeah, I know. One of, yeah, I've had quite a few people actually comment being like, yeah, what man, the hell? come on, bro. <laughs> I was like locked in. I had my Tuesday episode yeah, and my Friday, Friday episode. episode. But yeah, I mean, we just couldn't maintain the, the quality and, and keep those two episodes going. So. We might have to revisit that if we get if we get enough Patreons. If we, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, shameless. Like, what, what are the YouTube ones? Like, uh, like, uh, like, comment, subscribe. Like, like, comment, subscribe. But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's a bit like that. Isn't it is. It, it really is. It hundred percent is. Um, unfortunately, when you're sitting on the other side of like the creator fence, if you will, it really is like that. Uh, but yeah, because I mean, a lot of these YouTube channels that might have banging videos, mm. right? They might be awesome videos, mm. but they're not necessarily making a lot of money. That oh. dude is putting in hours to yeah. make the videos, edit the videos, whatever. And then he's still got to turn around and go to whatever day job yeah. he's got. You know, maybe he's out, maybe he's a garbage man, maybe he works in a supermarket, whatever. They're yeah. still going out and doing a 40 hour week working well, let their me, job. Let me put it this way the nutrition video I made on my YouTube channel took me about a week to make, not a week of like, not a 40 hour work week, but a week of, of effort. So probably over 20 hours into that, like researching, scripting, editing, animation, everything. 
And after it's been up on the YouTube ether for now 12 months, it's been up for one year, it has made $60. Worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, and it's got yeah. like, you know, obviously it, it's, it's not, you know, a, a short-term game, but it just goes to show that YouTube doesn't really pay. It only pays the, the upper echelon. The average income for a channel with um, over a million subscribers is like $70,000 a year. Yeah. So it's, it's enough to be full time, but it's not what you think. You don't like someone with a million subscribers on YouTube isn't rich. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah. They're making, yeah. they're making, you know, they're making a regular, a regular salary. Wage. Yeah. yeah. But this, so now our intro is five minutes. So yes. <laughs> this is more like it. <laughs> All right. So enough on that down a note. On to the questions. I'm really excited about these questions. We got some awesome questions today. So let's get into the first one. It's from Trevor. Hey guys, it's Trevor. I'm trying to decide what skill category to enter in for my local competition. They do it based on years of experience. I've been training about eight years, but jujitsu is definitely not my main sport. I do a lot of rock climbing and parkour. There's been months where I haven't trained at all, months where I've maybe gone into the gym, you know, once or twice during the month, and then other periods where I've taken a little more seriously. So if you go by my date of starting training, I'm well into the expert category. But if you go by my amount of time actually spent on the mats, I'm probably more intermediate and I'm still a white belt. So I don't want to sandbag, but I also want to give, you know, my opponents and myself a good matches in the tournament. Uh, so what category do you think I should enter? Thanks. Thanks for your question, Trevor. Uh, yeah. Interesting one because I'm not sure maybe it's like a grappling industries comp or something. Where, yeah. It sounds like it. Very similar. Yeah. Where it's not separated by belts. It's just by experience. And I don't know, based on, it's hard to say exactly because I haven't trained with Trevor or, or whatever, but just based on that. And I mean, if you're still at the gym or white belt, I mean, I would just go in. If, if, they've, if they've got beginner, intermediate, expert, mm. then go intermediate. But I think you said at the start that they've just got. Beginner, intermediate, it, no, that you're right, yeah. I think they've got all three. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Then go in intermediate for sure. If it's just separated in two, mm. you know, like, yeah. Cause some of those comps, they will be something like, you know, zero to two years experience. You go in this one, two to four. I mean, man, you, you feel like you've trained for quite a long time, but on and off, mm. but you're still wearing a white belt. I guess that's obviously at your coach's discretion. Mm. So you got to take that into consideration as well. And it sounds like, Trevor, you're wanting to do the right thing. You're not wanting to just go, oh, well, you know, I'm pretty much a black belt, but I'm, I'll just go in the beginner so I can smash face. No, you're saying you want to go in the appropriate category so you and your opponents have good matches. By the sounds of it, inter intermediate's the, the right place for you to go. If it were just novice and expert, there were only two options, then I would go with novice because I don't think it's fair to throw you in with expert, mm. you know. Uh, Eight years is a long time, but it sounds like there's a lot more off, a lot more time off training than on training. If after eight years, your coach still hasn't given you a blue belt. So that makes me think you spend more time not in the gym. Cause like you said, Trevor, it's not your primary uh, sport. You do a lot of other sports. So I think for me, without having trained with you in person, I would say intermediate would be the best place to go, bro. That sounds like the right division for you yeah 100 would you i mean you've done some of these competitions that separate it by yeah so i've never actually competed in one 
I, I thought you had. I'm competing in one the first time at the start of November. So I've signed up, but it just never, never happened. I bitched out. But those round robin comps, a lot of the time in Australia, they're the ones that separate uh, by experience are round robin based. So you get like four or five matches, matches, you know, um, which is cool. I've never actually done one yet. Um, yeah. So I, I think the next one I do, I'm going to give a go at expert. But that's because I want to play around with heel hooks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay then yeah. as well. You know, like if you – different point to, to Trevor's question. Completely you know, different. Trevor's wanting to be in the appropriate category so all parties yeah. involved have a good match. And I want to see what uh, happens. And, you, and you're wanting to kind of jump in the deep end. Yeah. So, if yeah, if that's the case, that's fine. But if you were just – if you were taking Trevor's approach, you oh, would put yourself you. into where? Into intermediate. Intermediate, intermediate. Right? yeah, I would. You know, and that's, and that's have as have a blue belt, you know, like – Yes. So – Yep. Trevor being a white belt, but having trained for pretty much four times mm -hmm. longer than you have mm -hmm. on and off, obviously, mm -hmm. you'd have to go with intermediate. Oh, 100% agreed. Because if, if he's having to bring up like in his mind, oh shit, I'm worried about, you know, I don't want to be perceived as sandbagging, then we can pretty much eliminate beginner. Because yes. eight years, you know, regardless of what color belt you are, eight years beginner doesn't really seem like the appropriate fit, uh, but definitely not expert because, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, in expert division, you're most likely going to be coming up against very senior blue belts or people like myself that want, want you know want to give it a red hot crack, uh, purple belts, brown belts, and black belts. Yeah. You know? So I don't think that's appropriate. You know, he could be. You know, I was going to ask the question: Why, Trevor, are you still wearing a white belt? You know, mm. why haven't you been given your blue belt? Mm. And maybe it's because it's Trevor's. Moved, moved around, yeah. changed gyms. But then I thought maybe he's also like our, bo our boy Paul at the gym. <laughs> so we have this guy Paul at the gym who um, you could say he's good enough, like when you roll with him in Nogi, mm. good enough to, to be a blue belt, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. But he's yet to tick the other boxes in terms of, you know, the other things I look for as an instructor grading someone, which is, well, he doesn't train in the gi at all. And I have different subject that we're not talking about today, but I'm yet to make a complete separation. I'm not sure I'm, I'm undecided. Uh, we spoke about this in gi versus no gi, you know, whether you would grade students who only do one and not the other. Mm -hmm. At the moment in my gym, I say to students, you've got to do both, mm -hmm. right? That's, you know, that's, how it works here but that might change in the future i don't know there's the two sports keep pushing further and further away from each other so i'm not saying that in the future i won't be grading people who only ever do no gi or grading people who only ever do gi anyway so paul at the moment it doesn't quite tick the boxes of the things that i want for someone to be graded but he makes me think of this because he never trains. He rocks into the gym like once every three months, mm. you know, very similar. He'll do maybe like he'll have a couple week period where he trains a lot and then he'll disappear. I won't see him for six months and then I'll see that he's registered to do a competition and then I rock up and he's there competing. I'm like, Paul, where have you, like, I haven't even seen you. Like, what Yeah, you he's an enigma, man. He he's so interesting in that, in that sense. Yeah, and then he does well, yeah. you know. I he's mean, a fucking specimen, dude. Yeah, he is. He's <laughs> a big jacked as fuck. He makes me look small. <laughs> yeah, he's quite a big, strong dude. Yeah, man. But so, you know, that could be maybe he hasn't gotten a blue belt because he maybe has a similar path to Paul. Maybe, yeah, the whole like moving gyms thing. It's something that I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm petrified of, of that happening. 
of like, let me, let me expand of the whole, if, if you're progressing in your jujitsu journey and I know that belt doesn't really matter. It's about the journey, not what you're wearing. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter how many stripes you have, but, <laughs> but uh, that was an inside joke. But uh, I suppose if you, if you move gyms, not only are you going to be being coached under someone different. So they're going to, you know, as you said in the podcast before you, you know, re reset. If a blue belt walks in, in your they, view, they're a day one blue belt, regardless of whether they've been a blue belt for like two years, give or take. Yeah. Kind of. There's yeah. a little bit of wiggle room, obviously, you yeah. know, if whatever, but if, but in the, in terms of being that blue belt, maybe they're senior, they walk in day one and then they're viewed as a day one um, blue belt. They're now under a different coach. So there's different expectations. You're going to learn different things. You know, everyone's flavor of jujitsu is slightly different, particularly if it's like coming from a completely different lineage, different team, different um, vibe, different culture, if you will. So yeah, in a sense, you are kind of a day one blue belt. And that sort of, that worries me as being, you know, that happening to me at some point in that journey, my journey to black belt, because um, that's not only delay, but I don't know. I just don't like it. Yeah. It's, I don't like uh, it. it. Makes me feel uneasy. <laughs> I guess I guess that could also be part of the reason why people uh, stay at gyms that they're unhappy at for longer periods of time than they should. Yeah, you don't want to do that either. You know? Yeah. But anyway, to, to, <laughs> yeah, to finish off Trevor's question, go with intermediate, my man. That sounds like based off your question where you're going to get the best matches for you and your opponent. Yeah, agreed. And good on you for like keeping your opponent in mind as well. Yeah, I what think, a dude. Yeah, that's, that's fucking awesome. All right, next question is from Peter. Let's play Peter's question. If it loads. Hey, Kieran. I have a question for Black Belt Adam Childs. He'll know who this is from. My question is, when your digestive system doesn't cooperate with you on a competition day, what do you do? Do you go in with a huge risk of becoming the biggest laughing stock on social media? Or do you save your face and forfeit? Thank you. My man, Peter. Um, so that's that's an old friend of mine, Peter Kim. So when I first trained jiu-jitsu, actually, the first place, well, the first place I trained was in Brazil, but the first like gym I joined mm. uh, was actually in Canada when I was living there. And that's how I got to know Peter. Peter became a good friend of mine. He even visited me living in Brazil, came down and trained at, um, at my gym in Brazil and everything. So I know Peter really well. This might be more of a question for you, Kieran, based on your nutrition expertise, but I would, it's actually a valid question because <laughs> I've seen there's videos on YouTube of people like shitting themselves in the middle of matches. I've not seen that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> gross. Yeah. It's pretty gross. And even a lot of people, you walk into the bathrooms at a comp. Yeah. Bro, it's ranked the amount of people taking nervous poops yeah, man. at competitions. Like there's a lot of people, you know? So even if your digestive system is on point, mm. people get so nervous, they get, for lack of a better term, physically ill. Yeah. Right. So it's a valid question. Um, obviously the whole nervous, if it's nervous pooing, that's a whole different thing. You know, you're talking about sports psychology and all that sort of stuff. But I would assume that the correct answer for the, if your digestive system is a problem, you know, that started before competition day. Mm. Like that started in the, 
depending what you're eating, everything, you know, digests at a quicker or faster rate, you know, but that's going to be the days leading up to the competition. What did you eat the night before the competition? What, Mm. what have you eaten the morning of the competition? But what I do know is that uh, athletes who are in a sport where they're forced to travel a lot to a lot of different parts of the world. So again, the one that everyone by now knows that I watch and follow being formula one, these guys race all around the world. I know that typically athletes who have this type of uh, career, they'll be very particular and kind of eat the same thing on the, the, on race day or fight day or whatever the day before and the day of, because they don't want to be like, Oh yeah, cool. Like we're now, you know, in doing a a fight or an event in Thailand and yeah, I'm going to try this spicy curry, whatever. And then turns out that, you know, it just wrecks their (laughs) their digestive system. They got the runs and whatever. You don't want to do that. Right. So I know that the, if you, to save face with your digestive system, I would argue that it's, the days leading up to it, you know, eat something that you know works for you, you know, don't, I don't know, don't eat something whack the morning of the competition. And I assume you're going to have a similar answer. You'll probably have a more scientific answer about foods that, you know, are less diuretic or whatever, whatever. Don't know, but that's my two cents. No, you're you're 100% spot on. One common problem I see with people trying to focus (laughs) on their nutrition for a competition day is they think, oh, what do I need to eat? Like it's in something new, something interesting. It's kind of like a good analogy. Analogy, Adam. Oh, would I, be, I, I, what, I give you permission. You may thank make you. an analogy. Thank you, thank you analogy, Adam. <laughs> I would say is people in jujitsu, when they're looking at their training, they're always looking, or like particularly junior belts, they're always looking for that one move that's going to work. You know what I mean? It's the same. That secret magic. That, yeah, the move secret. that for some reason no one else knows. Yeah, but it's, if it's, I, but it's I hidden. Can, yeah. It's hidden on Danaher's instructional for $1.99. <laughs> yeah, Buy right. all of them and you'll find it, <laughs> that one move. But that's, that's a good analogy because, you know, it's similar in nutrition. People are always looking, oh, what's that one meal I need? What's one type of food that I need to have that's going to give me the edge on competition day? I mean, I, I think that what you were saying about athletes that eat consistently eat the same thing on comp day and even the weeks leading up to it in, in some cases, there's a reason for that. It's because you don't want to introduce anything new or different. It, yeah, I would – yeah, and – Sorry, just to, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, saying new or different, uh, even if I find it's that's actually a great point, right? Saying new or different, mm. and the reason I want to highlight those two, those two words is because uh, you can eat something better, healthier, mm. but if it's new, mm. it'll still wreck you. For example, if you're someone who kind of maybe you're someone who's relatively in shape, let's say me through my years where I competed a lot more, right? Obviously super fit and active and relatively healthy. But if I didn't have a comp coming up, if I wasn't doing a camp, I would definitely kind of whatever, I would eat whatever, you know, drink beer, whatever, didn't really care so much. But then those, then when I said, okay, now I'm, this is day one of my camp or day one of cutting weight or whatever. So my diet kind of changes overnight and becomes insanely healthy mm. like that'll wreck your digestive system for a little bit even though you're 100%. even though you're you're thinking like why why am i now pooping eight times a day 100%. like when i'm eating salads and you know boiled chicken and whatever it's like yeah. well because it's different you yeah. know and your body needs to adapt microbiome a little bit. Is, is adapting to the new 
whatever you're introducing into yeah. that system. So just yeah. just because you think like, oh, but this is the healthier and the right mm. thing to do. Well, if you, if you never, never eat that before, yeah. in your regular <laughs> diet, it'll, yeah. it'll mess with you. Yeah, exactly. And then you will shit your pants, Peter. So don't do that, man. <laughs> but I will like, in, in further to that, I think that if, I'm not saying that you shouldn't like implement different things on competition day. For example, using caffeine. If you're someone that doesn't normally train on caffeine, should you, you know, smash a Red Bull for the first time before training? Uh, I mean, before your your comp? No, you probably shouldn't do that. However, if you want to test it out. <laughs> I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. Help. <laughs> like, bro, you're just weighing in. Chill yeah, out. Yeah, you're yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> but what you, what you should and could do is test whatever protocol you want to use. Like if you've looked up or, or bought my course and seen the protocol that I recommend or, or whatever. Um, you haven't even plugged now. the course yet. Of course, available now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> check the link in the description. Uh, I'll talk more about that in a, in a future question. But yeah, so if you want to test out a protocol that you've seen or researched or like people saying, oh, you know, it really helps for sports performance if you take this supplement or or try implementing this nutrition strategy. Test it out in training first. Pick a day that's going to be a, a, a tough day of training and test out your protocol. Take the supplements, you know, implement the caffeine or, or do whatever before you go do comp training or before you go do, you know, a hard training session and see how your body reacts. It's the same in- It's in, like doing a dummy run. Exactly. It is exactly like that. It's the same in endurance racing. This is a big problem in endurance racing because people that- do endurance racing, they they need to- You mean like ultra marathons? Like ultra marathons, like triathlons, Ironmans, things like that. Even these like high level athletes, they they need to be ingesting some form of sustenance during the race to keep them going. Otherwise they'll, they'll completely bonk. Yeah, but you can't stop and eat a sandwich halfway exactly. through a race. Yeah. yeah, so the body will shut down. But during training, they're not used to, like you're not running an Ironman or, or competing in an Ironman for training. It's ridiculous, right? It's a one-off thing. It's kind of like a marathon's more mental because you're not running marathons to prepare for a marathon. It's yeah. not, not normal people anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's always exceptions. But the point I'm making is even these athletes, they'll be implementing these nutrition strategies that they've looked up that are, you know, you butte, and then that's how they shit themselves. You see, everyone's seen the photos of like the endurance yeah, athletes that's shitting themselves. Yeah. That's why, because they they implement these like nutrition strategies, like, oh, they're nutritionists or they've seen online, like take these gels, take this and a combination of this, this and that, but they've never tried it before. They've never done it before. So they don't know how their digestive system reacts. And if you're just smashing all of these gels and you're putting your body through absolute stress, it's going to evacuate. You're going to shit your pants. You know, and that's where you see the poor bastard running, running the the, the last like fifteen yeah, k's with shit dripping down his down. leg. And I mean, obviously, you probably won't be in that situation in jiu-jitsu. They'll probably call an end to it. Not if it's you a get pro- no time limit match. They're the, they're <laughs> all the DQ'd? rage. At if the you moment. shit your pants, would you get DQ'd? That's a great question. If I was the ref, I would DQ the person. <laughs> yeah. I would DQ the person if they shat themselves. Yeah, even enough. if they wet themselves, I would yeah. DQ them. Yeah, like. Yeah, like if someone threw up in the middle of a match, you'd have to DQ them. I suppose. Or I don't is know. Is it a TKO? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It's I actually, I, I mean, it's probably in the official rules. Well, it has to be. Speaking of like DQs, I saw this. Uh, it's actually from Jordan, from Jordan Teaches Jiu Jitsu on his Instagram uh, yesterday. He put up a post of the worst DQ in Jiu Jitsu history. It was literally a takedown, it was like a leg sweep, um, mm. like an inside leg trip, and the guy got DQ'd for slamming. Oh, like worst as in that shouldn't have been a DQ. Yeah, the ref oh. DQ'd him for slamming oh, when God. it was literally an inside leg trip and they just fell down. There was absolutely no lift, no slam at all. 
Yeah, and he got DQ'd for slamming. This ref doesn't know what a fucking no, takedown looks lot, like. There's a lot of bad referees. Man, I once did. That killed me. I once did uh, uh, a competition in in Canada where I yeah where I first started training with with Peter, and they were. I already found it weird that they got everyone together before the comp started to go over the rules. That is, which weird. I already thought that was weird, but they actually. I remember this specifically because it stood out. And even as a, a white belt at the time, I was like, I don't think that's right. But anyway, I was a white belt, so I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but they said if you escaped a submission, you got an advantage for escaping the submission. And for those who don't know, it's the exact opposite. You, yeah. you get an advantage as if the person has to perform a technical escape, you get awarded an advantage for your submission attempt. Mm-hmm. You are never awarded points, advantages, or anything in jiu-jitsu for doing a defensive movement. Mm-hmm. So escaping a submission, escaping mounts, you know, reversing someone from side control is not a sweep. It's an mm-hmm. escape from a bad position. Therefore, it's a defensive movement. Like you're never awarded for defensive movements. But um, it just hammers home the point. There's a lot of shitty refs out there. And oh, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying I want to be a ref. I'm not saying it's an easy job. Mm-hmm. I always say to my students when we're going over anything to do with rules for whatever competition, even the upcoming ADCC, which is uh, will be pretty much starting at the time this episode comes out more or less. Right. Well, yeah, this I comes so. out like the day before ADCC starts. Yeah. Yeah. This, this Friday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, you'll see bad ref calls at that, which is widely considered the Olympics of jujitsu. Right. You see bad ref calls at the world's at the black belt world's finals. It's not an easy job. There's so much ambiguity in certain positions and sometimes something's happening on the other side of the, of the fighters' bodies that the ref can't quite see. There's no instant replay that they can – there's no Hawkeye or any of that stuff. It's not an easy job. Yeah. Right? But, yeah, things like what what Jordan posted and the ref's blatantly telling you, yeah, you get points or advantages for this, bad. Yeah. But, Peter, don't shit yourself. Please don't. In a comp. <laughs> Because if I'm reffing your match, I'll DQ you. Yeah, sure. Right. But um, like just to- do- oh, oh, shit, I don't even know whose it is. <laughs> oh, gross. But to like close out on that, <coughs> his, his question was like, should I risk it for the biscuit or or like, what do you, like DQ himself? I don't know. So like, not I mean, show up. I think- d- d- You can only answer that for yourself. I yeah. Reckon. I think what, what I would recommend is if you're, if you're competing in the morning, you could probably get away with fasting and just not eating, right? Um, yeah. That works for some people. Some people can compete on an empty stomach and particularly if you're used to training fasted, it's not the worst thing in the world. So long as you're, you have enough electrolytes and you maybe have a little bit of like, you know, liquid calories in the form of like li- liquid carbohydrate, something along those lines. It's not the worst thing in the world. You won't necessarily automatically zonk or bonk rather, particularly if you've eaten the night before, right? Because you, your body's yeah. going to be, using a lot of that energy from your uh, glycogen stores during your morning comp. If you're competing in the afternoon, I, I, I would recommend fueling your body before competing. So eat something that you normally eat, like whatever you normally have for breakfast before training or in the day before training, just have that and um, go for it. If, but if it's like a nervous thing, then maybe try and work through that and like literally go to the toilet beforehand, you know, I think and I- don't, implement, don't implement anything <laughs> new or different. I think I've, I've just thought of what could be a, a concrete line in the sand. That makes no sense. 
A concrete line in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. Just pick up the strip of concrete and move it. Um, I think this would be the line for me, like whether you risk – because that's what's the question, right? Do I forfeit or do I risk it? Yeah. If, if you're saying my digestive system isn't cooperating with me, I mm. feel a bit funny in the tummy, blah, 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 mm. risk it. Yep. If you get to the point where you're saying to yourself, I have diarrhea, forfeit, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's the line. Yeah. Like is your, is your digestive system messing with you to the point where you would classify it as diarrhea? Yeah. Forfeit, yeah. right? Do not risk That would be it. me. I yeah. wouldn't even show up to spectate. Like yeah. I'm not even leaving the house. I'm like, well, yeah, you're you like know. sick. You're not fucking. <laughs> yeah, that's, you're not nervous. That's yeah, the yeah, line yeah. in the sand for me. That's I can't believe we spoke about poop for 20 minutes, but um, that's right. That is a shit podcast we got going on here. Ah, so. uh-huh, <laughs> anyway, Peter, thank you, bro. I'm still waiting for you to come visit me in Sydney. It's been too long. We were um, started as white belts together, mm. both black belts. Now uh, haven't seen each other in person since we were. Blue belts in in Brazil, I think I was. I was thinking it's time then. So long time. It's time. time. Come on, Peter. Let's go. Get down here, bro. Okay. So next question is from Warren. So let's play that. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Adam. My name is Warren. I'm a blue belt that's fallen into the nogi world. Um, With the latest ADCC trials, the submissions I saw most were rear naked chokes and heel hooks. What are your thoughts about this, and where do you see the next phases of attacks coming from? Cheers. Awesome question, Warren. Thank yeah, you. Thank you, Warren. Another good question uh, that, you know, is hard to answer. I mean, the next phase of jujitsu, a lot of people are just definitely arguing the, the more and more influences from wrestling trickling into mm. jujitsu because in the no-gi world, wrestlers have proven how, how well they can – adapt to jujitsu in terms of attacks or submissions. I mean, yeah, people are still still inventing new variations of submissions and whatever, but there's only so many joints in the body. Like you can figure out a different way to manipulate the shoulder, like whatever, a Kimura or an Umnaplata. They're different submissions, but they're the same, mechanically the same thing, right? So there's only so many joints to attack. There's only, you know, there's only one neck to choke. And I think that I don't know where the next evolution will be. I mean, rear naked chokes have been around forever. They're not going anywhere. I don't see how they're going anywhere at all. The back control is still considered the best position in jujitsu. And, um, and a rear naked choke is like the, the money shot from that position, right? There's no... Like, yeah, can I throw up an inverted triangle from the back or an armbar from the back? Yeah, you can do all those things. But, I mean, if I can pick one, I'm going to take a rear naked choke. The old argument is that if you have a choice, chokes are always better than joint locks. And and I agree with that because, you know, for those who haven't heard this sort of saying or argument, it's that, well, with a, with a choke, doesn't matter how big or strong you are, you go out, you're unconscious, you win the match. Like, you can't have strong carotid arteries that don't get blocked off, you know, blood stops to the brain, you pass out. Whereas there's multiple, multiple, multiple uh, competition footage of athletes letting limbs break to escape positions, you know, 
you know, or having an arm broken or whatever. So, you know, you can't, doesn't matter how tough you are, if you're getting choked you, and the choke's being executed correctly, you're going to pass out, right? In saying that, the, the leg lock thing is interesting because I don't think we're going to see as many heel hooks this ADCC as we did last. And I'm actually really looking forward to this ADCC because since the last one, there's been a lot that sort of changed in not a lot that's changed, but there's what well, has like the no gi scene has just exploded in such a, sh- a short amount of time. Last ADCC, the big thing was uh, not only heel hooks, but like how good leg entanglements and K guard and that sort of stuff was. And, but now we're already seeing, you know, how good people are at just not, engaging in the leg lock game like at being able to shut down someone who wants to go there and I think it was Craig Craig Jones I think in an interview one time said that in training because he trains with the best leg lockers in the world in his gym he almost never catches heel hooks in training you know and and you know he's him and everyone else at ADCC they're all going to be fighting the best leg lockers in the world so it's not like the back where it doesn't matter if you've if you're the best person in the world when you're on someone's back, you're the Marcelo Garcia of back control. It doesn't matter when then I'm on your back, right? It's not it's not equal, but if you're the leg entanglement game, yes, there's positions where obviously if you've got me in the saddle, that's better for you than it is for me. But if I'm like better than you at leg locks, the chances are I'm gonna be able to like I can still get to your legs and it's semi even playing ground, so to speak, not quite, but you can see what I mean. It's very different to me being on your back. Like you have no opportunity for attacks when I'm on your back. All you have is defense. Whereas even if I've got you in the saddle, you still have attacks that you can link from, you know, clearing your knee line and whatever. So I think leg locks and heel hooks will still be there, but I believe the more educated people are getting with leg locks, and I've already seen this in the last couple of years in the, the professional level, is how much better people are at not, not fucking with it. And again, like hearing people like Craig Jones and, and Lachlan Giles and, and Jeremy Skinner and these really high-level leg lockers talk about how difficult it can actually be to keep someone's knee line and keep the leg entanglement position – Actually, perfect example. So a while back we did the episode, oh, what we learned from Craig Jones' seminar. We both went to that seminar. And I don't know if you recall Craig saying this or not, but he actually said that, you know, uh, at, at the professional level, again, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about just some people training in the gym. We're talking about ADCC. So the best no-gi guys in the world. Uh, Craig said that pr- it's pretty much gone are the days of being able to be in the saddle or be in 50-50 or whatever and find a heel hook. He was like, man, if I don't catch the heel on the entry, like I won't get it because like people turn out whatever, like people have gotten so savvy at the whole thing. You know, he's like, if I don't, you know, if I'm doing an Imanari roll, if I'm doing a false reap, he's like, I need to dig the heel and catch it and get a bite on the entry. Cause like, otherwise I can't just do a false reap to get to the saddle and then dig the heel later. Like those days are gone. Yes, for, for the average person, it still plays out like that in the gym, but we're talking about the best guys in the world. So um, it's a very long-winded way of me saying that heel hooks are still going to be there, but I don't think anywhere near 
as prevalent as people continue to still be super educated um, about that whole system. So I don't know if I, I don't know what the next catchy thing will be. You know, there was the Kimura trap phase, you know, how we got the leg lock phase. But if you think about the direction that a lot of people are going, it's this body lock passing sort of passing through half guard or people are doing this high step passing. There is people are kind of going back to passing as a means of, okay, how do I pass without getting caught in leg entanglements? Yeah. Right. And it's kind of going back to not old school jujitsu, but the original, whatever, however you want to phrase it, jujitsu of kind of going half guard, side control, mount back. And then, you know, well, then you've got to some degree your standard submissions. Yes, you've got lots of variations of them. Like, but, you know, if you're side control top, you've got what? You've got like your arm triangles, you've got arm bars, you've got transitioning to mount, you've got, you know, umna platters or takio platters or whatever. You've got your, you know, if you end up on the bottom because they bridge and roll from out, you've got your guillotines, you get to the back, you've got your rear naked chokes. And yeah, whatever little subtle twists of those. So I... I think that's at least the current trajectory. And then the way that I've seen and I continue to see the sport of jiu-jitsu change and evolve and whatever, it's, it's, you know, it has phases of what's meta, you know? And I don't know if that's just a gaming term. Do people know what it means to say something's meta? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because sure. sometimes I say something, like I've said this to you, I'll say in the gym, I'll say strafe, and people don't know what it means. And it turns out it's a very gaming slash military mm. word. Mm. If you don't know what strafing is, it's like walking sideways like a crab, like mm. either to the left or to the right. Anyway, so like jujitsu has phases of what's meta, you know. So, you know, uh, it used to be whatever, like you used to have to stand up to pass or whatever. And then, well, a simple, simple example, you'd stand up to pass and then guard players were like, well, how do I fucking deal with this? Okay, leg entanglements and blah, 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 blah. And now people are going, okay, well, leg locks are the, the shit now, so I'll go back to being on my knees and getting half guard and passing that way. And so maybe the next phase could be as simple as that. People start getting, um, you know, people start struggling to pass half guard and whatever again. And then guard players, uh, guard passes start standing up again and then leg entanglements are back. I don't know, but sorry, Warren, I'm rambling a little bit, but rear naked chokes definitely aren't going anywhere. I think at this ADCC on this weekend, I think we're predominantly going to see still exactly what you said and exactly what you saw at the trials, you know, submissions from the back heel hooks and, you know, guillotines are always dangerous. Maybe a few buggy chokes, but I think if I had to statistically say what submissions we'll see the most, I would say, yeah, uh, a variation of a leg lock and rear naked chokes. Yeah, and I would throw in, like, it's not really submission-based, so a little bit outside the scope of the question. You probably agree with this. I think this ADCC, we're going to see some high-level wrestling. Oh, no doubt, for sure. I think, like, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. well, ADCC traditionally has, you know, because of the rule set, has a lot. It, it is more wrestle-heavy. But I think this ADCC, we're going to see some actual wrestling wrestling. Yeah. That makes sense. Because you have teams, like all the teams have, have cottoned on like, hey, in this rule set, you need some fucking high level wrestling. Like um, B team, they have actual wrestlers in the team. Yeah, that's like, right. And I think that that effect is is a ripple effect throughout. Uh, all the top guys, they have very, very good wrestling. 
And I think that Gordon Ryan on – he was on Joe Rogan uh, Experience. You probably didn't listen to that with I with did. It. I listened to it. It was so good. I loved it. Yeah, it I was mean, almost as good as the Rogan Eddie Bravo episode. That was also good. So good. So <laughs> I good. I listened to both of those. They were fucking awesome. Vote um, Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the earth is flat. But in, in that episode, pretty sure it was um, – it was Gordon Ryan that spoke about the he, he believes that the next evolution of jiu-jitsu will probably come from um, – I, I might be confusing him with someone else, but regardless, the point remains that it will come from like really high-level wrestlers, Olympic-level wrestlers, and teach them jiu-jitsu, and they will be the next like next thing um, in, in because of the no-gi trajectory being so wrestle-heavy at the moment. However, there's going to be – because jiu-jitsu is a big fucking chess game that's played out on like – you know. If, if we were to roll, it's a mini chess game that's happening, mm. you know, in real time. But the jiu-jitsu meta is a is a is a huge chess game with like the entire jiu-jitsu community, right? So you know, one poor move here, one poor move there to counter that, to counter that, to counter that. And the example you're giving in from 2019, because K guard and leg entanglements are such a big deal. What have we seen ever since then? In in who's number one in everything? All leg entanglement shutdowns. That's what we've seen. The progression of these high level teams getting together is leg entanglement shutdowns and people coming out from like the B team or new wave jiu-jitsu or wherever it is. Uh, those are two of the many amazing teams out there. Um, you, you see that all their game is geared toward, you know, progressing that, shutting it down, working on different things, going back to, you know, chest heavy passing, body lock, etc. So I think that what we've seen also happening in the background is the significant emphasis on wrestling. So maybe not this ADCC, but the next one, the wave will be to shut down wrestling. It'll be like, I don't know, wrestling shutdown. I know you can't in the first like part yeah, of the yeah, match, yeah. But, but yeah. Yeah, you know, that it could go that way as well. I mean, the wrestler influence is mm. unquestionable. Mm. But yeah, like how how much wrestler influence how, you know, it's gonna have its period of time to shine. Mm. And then yeah, what will then be the next thing that'll be yeah, like counter wrestling mm. or or whatever. Maybe it'll just be a staple. Maybe like nogi jujitsu will incorporate say in like 10 years. Maybe it'll be people people that'll like day one white belts in 10 years will think nothing of it that wrestling is a big part. They won't even think of it as wrestling. They'll think of it as stand up jujitsu, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's just a big part of it. I think that it, is yeah. really what we're going to see is more emphasis on the stand up game. Yeah. The the only the only point that I would sort of struggle to define is there's only so many hours in the day and only, you know, people can spend their whole, people can spend 10 years just doing exclusively wrestling mm. and still not get particularly good at it. Right. You know, well, like, it's not like there's only so much time in the day. Like you can't, it's very difficult to think you're going to become a division one level wrestler and also a, uh, black belt ADCC winning jujitsu fighter. Like that is a lot of information. There's a lot of like, you know, I don't think there's enough time in the day to do it all, right? Like, so I wonder where the line is, you know, for example, do you, do you get a high level wrestler and teach them? Yeah, like, you know, you can take a high level wrestler and teach them a little bit of jujitsu or take a high level jujitsu guy and teach them a little bit of wrestling. And it's like, what's the better what, formula? Yeah. What's the better formula? Where's the, and okay. It's not as simple as that. 
I don't think because every individual is different. You know, some people are going to be more naturally gifted towards wrestling. So, well, look at Nicky Rod. That's what they did with him. They took a high level wrestler and taught him jujitsu. Yeah, but he also just happened to be in the the best team in the world. But then you also look at okay, I know you know mentioning a lot of Australians because obviously goes without saying, Mm. but you know someone like yeah someone like. Craig was kind of the opposite, right? Super high level jujitsu who now does wrestling, you know, has now incorporated a whole bunch more wrestling, you know? So I don't, I think it's on the individual, mm. but it's, regardless, you kind of have to do both. Right? I would, I would like to see the sport grow to the, or like develop, I should say, not grow, but develop and advance to the point where you, jujitsu guys don't need to be like, oh, I need to go do some wrestling classes or I need to do some wrestling privates or I need to, I need to like study wrestling because we shouldn't be studying wrestling. We should be studying jujitsu stand-up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's it as well because, I mean, I've got some students who do wrestle at a local mm. gym that is a, a wrestling gym mm. and, you know, or I've also got students who come from a judo background mm. and, yes, there's a lot of crossover but they are different sports. They like are. the amount of – judo takedowns where you get your back taken, but it wouldn't matter in judo because it would be an ipong, but yep. in jiu-jitsu you just got your back taken. And there's yep. similar takedowns in wrestling because you would win because you pinned their shoulders, but hey, shit, now you're in a crucifix, right? Or, yep. you know, yeah, in wrestling there's single leg variations where you have your head to the outside. Yeah, Not in jiu-jitsu, bro, you get you're getting guillotined. Or there's so, wrestling moves. Like a lot of wrestling guys, their whole game is like suplexes. It's illegal. Yeah, right. So, so I don't want I don't want to go to a wrestling class and spend like a month working on suplexes. No, that's right. But I think it depends as well on on the rule set like ADCC rule set definitely promotes a lot more wrestling. But yeah, the not the the argument for why jiu-jitsu guys are so bad at stand up, whether it's a gi or no gi, is just because of the rule set of the sport. You know, if you spend if you take the formula of being you know, a high-level wrestler, judo guy, and teaching them a little bit of jiu-jitsu, that's usually not the correct formula because 99% of the match happens on the ground, yeah. you know. So Unless you're if you're a judo <laughs> guy, wrestler guy, yeah, you just pull guard and yeah. it negates everything. Not everything because yeah. a lot of wrestling is also about controlling a downed person or like all these positions from turtle because you're trying to pin someone, whatever, mm. you know. But anyway – Sorry, Warren. Again, this is a rambly episode. No, it's, These good. Are it's great, a good topic, though. Good I, I like this. I like this topic. Whole, I feel like a lot of these questions that we've got on this mm. episode of Ask a Black Belt, the one question could be a whole episode. Mm. You know, and so. I've, I've been thinking about this specific topic now a lot because I have done some wrestling privates, um, and I have been thinking about, oh, should I should I go do wrestling classes like twice a week or whatever? And I've decided over time that no, I shouldn't. And the reason that I'm not going to is you're right. There's only so much time of the day. There's only so much energy I can put into jujitsu or sorry, training in general. And I want to sway that toward jujitsu and strength and conditioning. Like I'm not going to eliminate a jujitsu class for a wrestling class. Yeah. What I, what I would like to do is more wrestling, um, wrestling privates or someone with take, uh, we have a black belt at the gym, uh, who has a lot of wrestling experience. And whenever he teaches wrestling, he teaches it from a jujitsu perspective. Yeah. He teaches jujitsu wrestling. I think again, referencing Craig because he was recently here in Australia and, you know, B teams all over the jujitsu interwebs, Mm. but it's also just different in this part of the world, you know, training in America, you know, Craig said, well, man, you know, at our gym, like here in, in Sydney, Australia, you get someone who comes in and 
you know, to start jujitsu, they're completely new to jujitsu. Maybe they're fit and healthy, but that's it. They're new to jujitsu. Mm. Maybe they played some rugby, right? Mm. But in America, you can get a guy who's new to jujitsu, but he's like, oh, I've never done jujitsu, but I wrestled for three years in high school. Mm. You know, so like- We don't have that. We don't have that. Mm. Or, so in the gym, you're constantly going to have just a lot more of the average people in the gym who just have grappling experience. Okay, some are going to be like, oh, yeah, I did, I did a year of- wrestling in high school and some are going to be, yeah, man, like I competed all through high school and college in wrestling. Yeah. I'm not division one, but like, oh, I've got um, collegiate new, new, wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I'm a collegiate wrestler and yeah. I did, you know, I've had 200 wrestling matches in yeah. my career yeah. or whatever, but yeah. I'm new to jujitsu. So you're constantly going to have just ref wrestling influences and we don't have that here. Yeah. So here in Australia, you can definitely see why people feel the need to go. Oh, I got to go do some wrestling Yeah, because we don't lagging. have wrestling for jujitsu on the regular yeah. in your no-gi classes, yeah. whereas in the US you do. Yeah, and I think that like the whole – there was, you know, in, in gi jujitsu, whenever we're doing like stand-up, a lot of the takedowns are from judo, right? But I think that there's been a little bit of a delay with the same thing to be said about no-gi stand-up the takedowns and, and the stand-up game should be more wrestling influenced. And I think that's slowly starting to happen now, but it's been even just in my time in jiu-jitsu, I've seen it be more and more on the top of people's minds. There's more urg urgency, I'd say, particularly in the Australian scene. Uh, and I'm talking about hobbyists here. I'm not talking about the, the top levels because, you know, Craig, they've, they've got it sorted. They, they know that they, they get wrestling coaching, right? But for the hobbyists, there's like just talking to peers and training partners, it's like an urgency, like shit, we are behind. We, we need to catch up these, these blue belts in the States, you know, their, their wrestling's better or, or whatever. That, that's how it yeah. feels. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's not isolated to a specific gym or anything like that. It's like a, a, you know, a thing across the board, unless you come from a gym that has just so happens to have a wrestler there, a guy that, or girl that like, you know, as a high level wrestler that has that influence in that small community. It's not, there's no ripple effect throughout the entire Australian scene. And this might be weird no. for the American listeners to be like, okay, we don't have that. That's well, how I, I think, feel. Uh, yeah, I think it's just, yeah, just part of where we are in the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if the, the leg locks can be the thing that neutralizes. And look, I think it does like leg entanglements do definitely sort of neutralize wrestling, you know, on the surface level, so to speak. The guard but, pool does, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, yeah, a guard yeah. pool neutralizes wrestling. No, but, you wrestling. know, like even a good wrestler being top heavy and yeah, whatever. Totally, like, totally, yeah. you know, I've trained with heaps of wrestlers, whether it's in the gi or mm. no gi. And even if taking submissions off the table, like their base is just something mm. that's another level, man. Can't like getting swept. in underneath them can be really hard, really hard to sweep them. Even if they don't know what the F they're doing, mm. right, they're just very hard to move. Mm -hmm. um, but it'll be interesting to see because – Obviously, if you can tangle up the legs, it's then, you know, there's no, there's no Greco-Roman going on there when yeah. the legs when the legs are tangled yeah, you're up. Suplexing me here, boy. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. But you know, even I think it's just the nature of America having much more of a wrestling influence, and even the high highest level Brazilian nogi competitors who are becoming big and famous and whatever, where do they live and train in the U.S. Mm. You know, like not a lot of them are still full-time in Brazil. Because even Brazil, there's not a lot of wrestling in Brazil, right? It's a lot of hard dudes, but yeah. A lot of hard dudes. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't sexual I until, you made, until you made that face. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so the uh, the next question is from Taylor. So let's hear from Taylor. Let's, Kieran. Yeah, let's. it's loading, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this is live, live on the air. I think we having a loading issue. Adam, entertain the people. If you're not watching the video, I'm juggling make believe balls in my hand. No, I don't know. Come on, man, get your shit together. Uh, what can I talk about? Let's see, guys. We had a very punishing training session on Saturday. Kieran didn't turn up to it. It was copious amounts of burpees and it absolutely sucked. Oh, did you ask Carl on that about the session? No, you didn't. You came in on Monday. I said, oh, ask Carl. No, you mentioned it though. I said, the, ask him about Saturday's yeah, class. You mentioned it in the um, the group cool down. You were like- Oh, did I? Yeah, yeah you were fun. like, oh, Carl, fuck you. <laughs> Throw him under the bus. Okay, so now I'm going to play the question oh, go from ahead. Taylor after that short interlude. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Kieran and Adam. My name is Taylor. I am a white belt in Sioux City, Iowa. My question for you guys is I currently do jujitsu about six times a week, and I'm looking to add some sort of strength training program to my regimen. Um, I'm wondering if I should do, you know, focus on the heavy lifts or if I should do calisthenics three, five days a week. I'm just looking for recommendations there. And then I have another question, which is who would win in a fight? A online blue belt in jujitsu or a 12 year old black belt in taekwondo thanks for everything you guys do i love listening to the podcast been listening a long time appreciate it guys what an awesome two-part question taylor. <laughs> i love it taylor thank you <laughs> i uh, lost my shit when i heard the 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 fucking blue belt versus the the online blue belt i love versus it i love it when it, I, Black belt Taekwondo, I love that. I love when the question starts with who would win in a fight. Yeah. Um, the uh, look for the for the lifting, strength, and conditioning. I'll mainly palm this one off to Kieran. For me, it's mm. you know uh, I've said it before. Anytime this subject comes up, uh, as someone who doesn't do a lot of it, I always just say, well, the be- the the best workout is the one that you do, right? Mm. E- even if it's not perfectly structured even if it's not the correct lifts or whatever if it's that or nothing short of okay don't i don't mean do incor- do lifts incorrectly but i mean you know you might be doing bench press fucking bench yes. press bicep curls something that yeah. is but whatever if it's that or doing nothing mm. still good for you mm-hmm. you know so yeah the best one's the one you do but um over to kieran to plug away the best option the best option is to buy my course out now. <laughs> it is the uh, Jiu-Jitsu Performance and Longevity course, partnered up with Jordan Teaches Jiu-Jitsu. If you haven't listened to that episode that we did with Jordan, um, check it out. But yeah, in all seriousness, uh, that is a shameless plug for the course. But I'll talk, talk to you about what, what is on, on the course and what I recommend. Now, you mentioned heavy lifting versus uh, calisthenics, Taylor. So this is – it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, right? Meaning you can, you can get a huge benefit from doing calisthenics or you could get a huge benefit from uh, lifting weights in particular. And for those that don't know the difference, when we're talking about weightlifting, we're talking about uh, using your body to move an external weight. Whereas calisthenics is using your body to move your own body's weight or um, adding weight to your body to do, to do uh, weighted calisthenic works. The example would be the difference between doing a lap pull down versus doing a pull up. Right? So if you think a bar at a gym, you're pulling your body weight up, that is calisthenics. Doing a lap pull down would be considered weight lifting, sort of using a pin machine, but you get the idea, right? So yeah, there's benefit in both. However, what 
the way I like to approach this is think about what is more accessible for most people. Now, I think that it is more practical and accessible and easier to do to to do weightlifting. As in, I'm not talking about Olympic weightlifting; it's a different conversation. But doing your your regular sort of gym bro workout, but modifying it for jujitsu, having jujitsu in mind when selecting exercises and when formulating your periodized program. That's the way I approach it. The reason I say it's more accessible, but you may think that well, can't you just go to a park and do push-ups and, and pull-ups and isn't that more accessible? Well, well, yeah, but you'll you'll reach a limit, right? So calisthenics is is a very vast, like broad spectrum. We had a white belt at the gym that came in um, on Monday night, and he he showed us he's uh, like plank to to handstand, this crazy like calisthenics movement, and said it. He, he said that it took him four years to get to that point, and it is very impressive. He shows incredible body control, body awareness, and um, very very strong, very, like lots of strength. You can achieve similar strength results by using targeted weightlifting, and arguably, it's probably, in my opinion, it's easier. It's an easier path, but similar results. If that makes sense, that may be a cop out answer, but I think that if you are into calisthenics, go for it. If you're, you know, if you're impartial, you're like, hey, I just want to get strong for jujitsu. I would stick with weightlifting and incorporate calisthenics where they make sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean. Yeah, super impressive what this guy Ziv is his name who who came in and could do the whole, uh, you know, like if you're kind of sitting like cross, an L sit to to yeah, handstand, yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah, so su- super impressive, but yeah, if you, I mean, the question is adding strength, conditioning, weightlifting, calisthenics, whatever. Essentially, you're wanting to get stronger for jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So for me, yeah, some calisthenics in there, but you know, uh, like things like pull-ups and whatever are really good. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would go, you know, weightlifting for the path because if the question was, hey, I want to get stronger for handstands, I'd be like, yeah, cool. Calisthenics is probably the way to go, you yeah. know, or whatever, you know. It's, I think, I don't know, if you think about calisthenics, it's lifting your own body weight. Mm-hmm. Weightlifting is lifting an external force. An external force. And in jiu-jitsu, you're mostly lifting an external force, yeah. right? Pulling and pushing an external force. Yeah. But there's there's ways but I mean, to incorporate like th- there's different exercises you can choose that make it more practical for jujitsu. For example, instead of um, instead of doing I don't know some like a regular core exercise, you could do a Turkish get up. Which that's right. Or instead of doing regular you know regular rows, you mm. could do renegade rows. Yeah, totally. You know? uh, so there's a lot of instead of, even if you want to do even if you're taking the calisthenics approach instead of doing regular pull-ups you can do pull-ups but hanging on to gi grips you know yeah it's totally. like there's a lot like of a towel thing, same thing yeah, yeah to to make it more jiu-jitsu applicable yeah i think you know what like i used to go to the gym and to finish like just as like a novelty finisher to mm-hmm. the workout mm-hmm. me and jake one of the, the blue belts at the gym we used to, <laughs> to go to the gym together and as the finisher just for for fun and novelty and just to cook yourself right at the end we would get a a fit ball are they called fit balls the ones that people sit on at their desk like the big yeah, bouncy ball yeah that? like yes. those big bouncy ball yeah, fit no ball things right and we would get one of the larger ones that we could kind of just fit our arms around yeah. and then we would do like 
rep uh, sets of like 30 seconds like squeezing like trying to imagine if you were trying to pop it oh you wow know, so like a seatbelt something yeah like so you're yeah. practicing your squeeze for a seatbelt or your you know your gable grip squeeze from a body lock position mm. or whatever because it's a very you know like that position happens a lot in jujitsu, right? When you're literally trying to give someone yeah, the, very similar, the tightest like hug. That squeezing you, a big round yeah, ball, particularly so, if you are rolling with Jake, you know, it is very similar. <laughs> squeezing his big round. But, you know, so there's things ball. that you can do that, that like directly translate, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, if you don't know what those are, then finding a, you know, finding someone that has put in the work will, will help a lot. Like if you're new to and you you looking for someone to guide you through no, it. No, seriously, you're looking for seriously like, though. If you're looking for like it. if there's a course or something, yeah, that like I fuck could. If you could just spend one forty nine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you think about it, right? Like if you're new to working out, like external to jujitsu, and you're thinking, shit, I want to work out to get stronger for jujitsu, and you know, a bit of aesthetic and, and whatever, get stronger. It's it's good for you. You know, if I want to go down that path, then doing something that is jujitsu specific would be more beneficial in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and, and it's just the intelligent way to do it. If mm. if we were sitting here doing uh, a podcast that was called fucking Beyond Track and Field yeah, and I said, yeah, you could just, you know, and your sport is the 100 meter and 200 meter, right? Like it'd be very specific, the, mm. the weightlifting and whatever that you 100%. want to do to become a faster runner. Yes. It, which And ha- essentially, yes, there's, I mean, they – a sport like that, they go to the extremes of actually looking at your stride Mm. and things like this. But in terms of the end of the day, how do you get faster? You need to get stronger, right? Like it's more, more explosive. And so you would do it in a, to get, to become a faster runner, you need to get stronger and you would do that in a very specific way. So it's no different for jujitsu. It's just slightly more ambiguous because it is a, all encompassing all body sport, yeah. you know? So there's no one muscle that you don't really use, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to do everything. And if you think that getting stronger for jujitsu would, would be better just to do more jujitsu, well, I've got a story for you. There was a very interesting um, series of, of research papers published on looking at this exact question, but what they used was endurance runners sprinters and uh, powerlifters. So they took these three groups and they're like, okay, let's see what cross training does to their performance in their given field. And what they found to cut to the chase is that by implementing strength training to the endurance training groups, it actually benefit their, their overall performance in endurance running. So if strength training in for endurance runners improved that, that group's performance more than the control group that did more endurance running. So they had, to, they split them down the middle. One one side of the, the the A group, if you will, they just did endurance running. They did more endurance running than B group, but they supplemented the endurance running with strength training. B group performed better. And they found that across the board, with the exception of powerlifters, they performed worse when they added endurance training. So they added more cardio. Right. And, that, you know, that, that sort of makes sense though. Um, it does sort of make because, sense. Because, you know, the whole like, oh, does cardio kill your gains? No, it doesn't kill your gains. But- uh, in, in terms of that very, very specific, like powerlifting, you know, they, they need to maintain as much mass as possible and uh, endurance running or, or long distance cardio is counterintuitive to powerlifting. That's like a niche example. Yeah. But for sport, all the top athletes, even Formula One guys, golfers, right? They all do strength golfers, training. Golfers, strength. Yeah, golfers, Wasn't Ti- yeah. Tiger Woods was one of the first 
uh, golfers in our modern era that really brought to the forefront the significance of treating this like, no, you're an athlete. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised you know that because you didn't even know who Tiger Woods was. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah, but no, you're right. He was one of the. He was one of the. Maybe not the first, but at least I mean one of the one mm. of the first is in. Mm-hmm. Massive superstar in the golf world, exactly the biggest um, influence. Yeah, in the world. who who worked out? Yeah, and even did Formula ex- One drivers. Man, that's so so ignorant when people think. Yeah. But you just sit in a car, like man, those dudes lose Manage like three, four kilos of, of yeah. sweat in a race, like, 100%. and they they're in the gym all the time. Hundred percent. So if you're applying this same philosophy to jujitsu, and if you have a coach that's like, nah, bro, just do more jujitsu, you get stronger for jujitsu if you do more jujitsu. I'm like, well, nah, that's a bit that's a bit old school. That's a bit backward. Now there's a threshold though. I will, I will, you know, I'm waffling a little bit. Yeah, but you can't just do ninety percent strength. Exactly. Exactly. What's like, the fucking point? Yeah. Like if you're if you're training once a week for jujitsu and you're training three strength training sessions, but your goal is jujitsu, you got it backward. You yeah. got it backward. You need to you need to swap those figures around. So just to hone in on um, on Taylor's okay, three to five times a week. Depends on how many jujitsu sessions you're doing, but for well, you vast- said, I think you said like about six a week. You said if you're doing six a week, you should definitely not do five sessions of anything of outside of jujitsu a week. In, in my opinion, um, unless you're like you know pro athlete, you're taking some special sauce or Jesus and say. <laughs> but no, in, in all seriousness, like I think that the max I would recommend for someone that's training jujitsu six times a week is three sessions and doing like a three day split that you can find on the course that's available now. Uh, John teaches jujitsu and myself made that course. Check it out, link in the description. But <laughs> no, but that's a, a three day a week program, or you can do a two day a week program. Now, I wouldn't. Now, when you're comparing, okay, which one should I do? It's what whatever you can commit to more consistently. I would say start with a two day a week program if you're brand new to lifting and you're still maintaining six jujitsu sessions a week and see how you go. And if you want to expand that, go to three. Now, I wouldn't just take a three day a week program and just drop off one of the days right? That's not how you want to do it. You need to modify the program. So it encompasses all the areas you need to work on, all the key lifts. And, and you also want to make sure that your program is progressing. So you're doing, you're not doing the same exercises for 12 months straight and then changing your program or whatever, or getting bored with it. Or, you know, you need to make sure that your, your, your weight, your reps and your exercises are progressing as you progress along the way. And if you want a program that does just that for you, then check out the link in the description and uh, get it now. Get it now. Get it now. There's so much more in the course. That, uh, listen to the podcast I did with Jordan and um, I was also on his podcast, so check that out. I put everything that we spoke about, all the links in the description of this episode. Buy my shit. <laughs> no, and on that note, uh, yeah, guys, that was- um, Oh, we didn't answer. No, no, no. We, okay, oh, who shit, would win in sorry. a fight? Oh, who would win in a fight between an uh, online blue belt versus a 12-year-old black belt in Twyconda? Taekwondo. I was always say Taekwondo. Um, Taekwondo. I I love these questions because it's like oh, we're like, do I try answer it seriously? Do I not? Oh, definitely. I, you got to take I, it very seriously. I, um, I know that. Well, I feel that it's going to hurt you in your soul to say the online blue belt because of how much you hate them. Mm. But I mean, a a twelve year old black belt in Taekwondo is. You know, just a 12 year old. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a 12 year old, you know. So the question may is even if the online blue belt is 
you know, crap, I guess you could strip back the question to say who would win in a fight, an adult or a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, well, so, have you heard the- But, who, okay, let's say, let's imagine they're both 12, even though you can't be 12 and get a blue belt. Let's imagine they're both 12, like a okay. 12-year-old blue belt in jiu-jitsu and a 12-year-old black belt in taekwondo. If it's an online. Blue online belt. blue belt. It's not a legit blue and belt. And I'm giving it to the taekwondo kid. Fucking flying kick in the face. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I'm still gonna have to go in with the, Okay, in the adult, in the adult, yeah, okay. It's like who would win a fight, like you said, an adult or a or a twelve year old. And it's funny, I started I've started to assist um Aaron at the gym coaching the kids' classes. And I've, you know, had a couple of roles with with um some of the, the kids and man, twelve year olds are really like, easy to beat. <laughs> <laughs> they fuck me up. No, they're they're easy to smash. They're just so small. You can you can choke them out. Like I choke like four <laughs> kids out. Um <laughs> no, I'm 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 Absolutely kidding. But like, I think that even- Yeah, like you can, I mean, for for lack of a better term, like you can very easily just push a kid around. Yeah. You know, yeah. like even- I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy. Kieran's walking down the street, pushes a kid over. Hey, watch out. Yeah. I do jujitsu. Yeah. But <laughs> even, okay. Even if you got like a 50 kilo legit blue belt, like a person and they rolled, you know, came up against someone that was a hundred kilos, right? but had only been training for a week or hadn't been training at all. Could the 50 kilo blue belt win? Yes. Will they? Maybe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Like the, the, the offset, like, you know, the argument is that technique beats size and strength and whatever, but that, that doesn't scale at the beginning, you know, like it takes, you know, what, what would be if I could just it's like put exponential, it right? That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if you, like if you had it on a graph, mm. you know, it, you have to get to the upper ends of technical expertise mm. for the, the weight and strength to become insignificant. Mm. Right. Uh, but yeah. you know, in the earlier days, like even you can even be, yeah, like a blue belt or even a purple belt perhaps. Mm. And depending on your size and the size of your opponent, you could even be like a purple belt and not have enough technique to offset the amount of weight that they have. Yeah. Right. And obviously let's just call that weight a hundred kilos, you know, like it's a, you need a decent amount of technique to deal with someone who's a hundred kilos. So. And uh, we do need to address the elephant in the room. Like Taekwondo is not really combat sport like, no it's not it's a, it's, it's pretend so yeah. fuck those guys. <laughs> no, i mean that's uh yeah we spoke about that they before. do some cool shit yeah, yeah yeah it's not it's not a combat sport you don't i'm see. sure there is there's definitely the odd you know it'd be a guy that out there that would kick my ass and be like i'll show you and yeah, yeah you, there'd, you there'd, be, there'd be the definitely. odd taekwondo dude in the world yeah who smash me is then yeah, gone on to become a successful MMA fighter or yeah, whatever. But it's 100%, definitely no you know, combat karate. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Bringing that one back. But I got one for you now. And this, I, lo- I love this one. Who would win in a fight, you or 12 12-year-olds? Could you beat 12 12-year-olds in a fight? You know what? Uh, and you're on a field. Uh, d- we'll, we'll, like, we'll establish context. So you're not like trapped in a bathroom or something where they'd like pin you in no, a let, stall. No, no. You're, I you're can in an open I can, field. I can be in a stall. No, um, you're in an open I, field. Well, I can be wherever. doesn't matter. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, wait, can I do whatever means necessary to beat them? Or it's, beat it's, them complete, in it's a complete unarmed combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like. They can do whatever they want. It's not jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I can, can beat them. Dirty. I'll tell you why. Because I've, I've had experience. <laughs> <laughs> 
so this one time I was in Russia. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's it's if it were jujitsu, maybe not because you know with teaching the kids class, I often do this you know, mm. funny sort of game with them. Long story short, it kind of often results in like a stacks on at mm. the end. And so I've had 12 kids piled on top of me before, mm. you know. Is this Hunter? No, no. It's a, so we'll do this game. We actually used to do this sometimes at the gym in Brazil at the, as like a novelty warm up just mm. to kind of, so it's not the same shit every day, just for a bit of fun. Mm. So everyone would be jogging in the circle mm. and then the instructor would say something like, okay, now as quick as you can, groups of three that have, you know, one white belt in the group mm. and everyone has got to find the group and the people who didn't make it into a group. It's like, okay, 10 push-ups. Uh, and then yep. you'd go back to jogging and then, you know, group of five with, you know, two girls in it, you know, and then if people would try to find a group and of five. And there's only one girl. And yeah, well, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> And um, uh, so funny. I do that game with the kids and then often at the end I'll go, okay, and group of five with one black belt in it. And obviously I'm the only black belt. Oh, and then, so I, and then I run and all the kids are chasing me and they yeah. tackle me and whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so I've had like 10, 12 kids stacks on on me and they're younger than 12 and I can't get up, you know. But if we're talking like it's Shit, a – okay. Yeah, bro, like it's a – well, think. I mean, what's – I mean, let's say these kids weigh – a 12-year-old might mm. weigh like 40 kilos, mm-hmm. 50 kilos. So it's 12 times 40. No, you do the math, bro. I don't know, man. you got to calculate. <laughs> what is this, a What's Beyond a, Math podcast? Yeah. Come on, bro. <laughs> well, it's hundreds of kilos, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's not all on top of one point. And I can bench 100 kilos, so I can bench That's 480 that kilos. Man, I can Karen. bench that. Come no. on, bro. <laughs> but, it's, but it's dispersed across your body. Like yeah. if you get one arm free, all you have to do is beat like, you know, yeah, 40 but, kilos. Yeah, but <laughs> and then you get that arm and you grab the other that's one, and you, you punch need, him in the head. You need to do more. You gotta run. <laughs> well, that's that you've led me to my next point. If it's like a no rules, mm. these kids are savages, I'm fighting for my life. Yeah. Well, then I'm gonna win because all it's gonna take is for you to shove one 12 year old really hard and they're gonna start crying. So that's one kid. <laughs> okay, <laughs> here's here's the thing know? though. These aren't these are regular 12 year olds off the street. Oh, but, but they're on Coke or something. They yeah, just but keep coming. They're not like normal, as oh. in that you, you can't just take out the first one really bad and they get scared and they like, oh, back off and you can just pick them off one by one and then you're the attacker. They just keep no, coming. No, they, they, they coordinate. Like, so they, they're like they're zombie, zombie kids almost. They're zombie kids. But far, like from that. But they zombie. take regular damage. They don't I take see. zombie level damage. I still, I still reckon you can just smash one and like. Have hit. we spoken about this before? I felt like we might have. I don't know. Whatever. If you, if, look, if we can get enough of our listeners to donate a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a 12-year-old? Donate now. <laughs> Me at this field. Uh, BYO Coke. Yeah. Um, shit. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. I think that I would have a good shot of winning. I'd I can't believe you've spoken about this for so long. I, yeah, I think we have actually spoken about this for early days. But it's, it's funny. Yeah, but, man, I'd kick him in the head so hard. <laughs> yeah, I reckon you could take him out pretty quick. Yeah, I think one one to two really but well once they hits. once they get on top of you, bro, it's hard. You don't so, let him get on top of you. But then again, you know. Oh, that's good. That's a good point though. Cause like if one catches you and you have to slow down for that one yeah. when you're running and then the rest just swarm you, you could be fucked. Yeah. And I don't I know if you It's up. hard. In the gym, I can't get up, but also in the gym, I'm being very cautious. Yeah. So I'm not just being like, hey, big hypocrite. Well, wham. And you know. But what if like, if they caught you and pin you down and then started clawing at your eyes or something like that, if you had 12 humans clawing at your face, you're fucked. Yeah. It's not very good, is it? Yeah. 
Um, but they're also 12 year olds. I think there's really, I mean, we're just going to have to test it. Yeah. Do you think you would fare better in an open field or in something like a bathroom store where like there's 12 of them, but you're backed up into a stall? And it's kind of like, it would be like Sparta 300. Nah, and, nah, and being in a store would be rough because you're going to end up having all your space taken away and you're going to get pushed. Like you end up getting taken down like someone does against the cage uh, in UFC. But you're couldn't you? Get- I'm imagining you being backed up. What are you right going to do? Spider climb? No, you like keep yourself on the walls in the cubicle and just boot, just kick, <laughs> just aim kicks at heads, man. Like they come in, you're fucking just smacking them. You got a 12 year old just dropping left, right, center, man. You're just kicking them. But and then they get slowed down because they have to climb over the other exactly. side. <laughs> but then they're going to have a height advantage. It's, no, but it's literally 300, man. You create like a wall of bodies. And then like, only thing, if someone finds the goat track and goes over the top of the stalls, you're fucked. Yeah, so yeah. it needs to be one of those stalls with like go, this goes all the, the way. Yeah, yeah. And then pin and kick. But I don't know. I'd probably- There's quite specific parameters to yeah. win this fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I had to choose, I'd probably take the open field because I think I could outrun a group of 12-year-olds. Of I don't, course you could. The fucking 12. Yeah. So I think I'd be able to like run around them and like sort of herd them. <laughs> and then like come in and, and then pick all one of, off. All of a sudden you've got them in a fence, in a gate and <laughs> yeah. you close the gate. No, but if you see like wolves, like hunt a pack of like animals and sometimes they go around and like herd the- well, and I've get seen the, sheep dogs do it. Yeah, yeah. And you can like sheep them in and like herd them in and then you can pick off the weak ones on the out, outside rim. That's what I'd do. Just come in, <laughs> take one out and then herd around. Take one out. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to- Revoke your <laughs> license to assist in the kids' classes. <laughs> I, I got to rock up and you're hurting the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Kieran, what are you doing? You're like, just training, <laughs> Pract- <laughs> practicing. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's funny, shit. Oh, that shit. was quite, quite, well, I mean, we have to have a rant at the start or the end. So yeah, that, that ties in. Guys, thank you so much for, for all your questions. I think we even had some more, but we clearly ran out of time. Uh, but episode. 120 will be up before we know it. And yeah, then that'll please be the next, questions. Next Ask a Black Belt. Yeah. So please keep the questions coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, all jokes aside, Kieran and Jordan's new course, check it out. Is mm. it live yet or still just the-, no, the I think link? it'll be live once this goes up. And if it's not, um, just follow the link in the, in the description of this podcast, wherever you're listening. And um, you'll be able to put your email address in and you'll also get a discount and everything like that. So follow the link regardless and you'll, you'll get looked after. Don't worry. Sick. And- uh, and then for anyone who is just wanting more and more podcasts, let me give a shout out to one of my students, uh, ha- Harry. Harry has a podcast. He's like a, a life coach and uh, business advisor and does a whole lot of that sort of stuff. Mm. He's got a podco- podcast called Success with Purpose. Mm-hmm. And I did an episode with him uh, that came out last week, I believe. So if you're after hearing more of my annoying vo- voice, but uh, it's yeah, success with purpose, the joys and costs of success in jujitsu. Yeah. And uh, I believe he introduced me in that episode by saying, you were the opposite of any definition of success is how he introduced me. Um, <laughs> despite you, all odds, you made it. You are like the that. least successful person I know. Therefore, for contrast, here you are. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm the control subject yes. for, for, for yeah. his yeah. podcast. Yeah. But yeah, check that out if you want, guys. Otherwise, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the description so you'll be able to check that out. Yeah. Otherwise, as always, uh, Instagram, at beyondjujitsu underscore podcast. If you want to sh- support the show further, We have our Patreon. But yeah, guys, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one. See ya. 